And welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and we are coming to you live today from New York City, right here on TalkingAlternative.com. So I want to thank you all for tuning in today. And I'm today we're sort of, again, talking about physical therapy, and, and instead of talking about one aspect or one clinical part or, uh, you know, talking about physical ailments and problems. Today, we're going to talk more big picture stuff. So we're going to talk about policies. We're going to talk about education that is really impacting physical therapists right now. And to help me do that today, I'm very happy to have on the show Eric Robertson. He is an assistant professor at Regis University in Denver, Colorado, and the founder of PTThinkTank.com. And we'll talk more about that in a second. And at Regis, he teaches in the musculoskeletal curriculum, as well as pharmacology, differential diagnosis, and in the Regis Orthopedic Manual Therapy Fellowship Program. He researches the impact of technology on how we deliver, consume, and teach healthcare. He currently serves as the chair of the Public Relations Committee of the APTA's Orthopedic Section and is a frequent national speaker. So, Eric, thanks for coming on the show, finally. Sure, Karen. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been a while to schedule it, but I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we've we've been trying to kind of schedule to have him come on for like two months now. And between school and having other guests, we just could not find a time. So luckily, Eric, now you have just recently relocated. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I kind of started teaching, uh, doing some stuff at Regis earlier in the year. Uh, but just uh, actually last week is when everything wrapped up in Texas. And Moved to Colorado, and here I am full-time now, ready to roll. Great. And now, let's talk, before we get into a lot of the sort of big-picture stuff, I just really want to shine some light on PTThinkTank.com. So, when did you launch PTThinkTank.com, and why? Sure. So, um, I guess I began PTThinkTank.com in about 2006, so it was pretty early in the uh, scheme of when blogs were launching and just starting to become really popular. And uh, it's kind of a funny story how I started it. Um, at the time, I was kind of conflicted about my career. I wasn't really sure where I was going to go, and I just completed uh, taking the MCATs and filled out a whole medical school application. And was just about to, like, you know, hit the send button and submit my application to all these different medical schools. And I was just kind of having this, like, moment of, well, is this really where I want to go? Is this what I want to do? Because I really, really was in love with the information that I knew inside of physical therapy, but I needed more things to engage me, and I wasn't quite sure what that was. And so, uh, you know, in those moments, you turn to your good friends, and I was talking to one of mine, and he said, well, man, just do what you're good at. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm good at. What am I good at? And he's like, well, you just took the MCATs, and uh, you scored really high in the writing stuff, so why don't you write? And uh, that's how it started. <laughs> and, you know, what did, you, what did you feel like was missing in, within the physical therapy community that this would be a good hole to fill? I was looking for discourse online. I was looking for ways to connect with other people mm-hmm. and to talk about those things that I didn't really agree with or I didn't love. And so, uh, you know, the byline for PT Think Tank is critical observations of health science and the physical therapy profession. And that critical word in there is really sort of how it started. And, um, you know, I wanted a place to kind of speak my mind. And there wasn't any in kind of the invent of blogs gave me mm-hmm. that platform to talk about. And so I just decided to, to ramble. And, you know, at first I just started talking about uh, who knows what. I had no plan or agenda. I would just something pop in my head and I'd write about it. And uh, I've been fortunate to get a nice, nice response to it mm-hmm. and a nice audience built up over time. So uh, it's been a thrill. It's been a real fun thing to do. Yeah. And now I notice that you just sort of added a student uh, slant to it with, um, with Lauren Riley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we sort of actually quoted her blog post that she put up two weeks ago on the show last week on what um, what are clinics looking for when they're hiring new graduates. So I think, and, and, you know, I think maybe later in the show we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what students are facing and, and perhaps you can give us some insight from the professor side of it. Um, but I think that that's a great forum for students because, you know, I know that when I went to school, and I don't know about you when you went to school, there was really nothing out there to connect students from 
other colleges, other parts of the country. So I think that this is, is a great platform for students. So I commend you on that. Oh, well, thank you. And, you know, I, I kind of felt the same way. There wasn't really this platform that was able to connect students around the country. And, uh, you know, hats off to Lauren. She took the initiative. Uh, she contacted me even mm. before I came to Regis and mm-hmm. uh, had this idea and said, you know, she'd been talking with some other people about developing this, you know, student chat. And uh, the chat wasn't so much the point as much as it was creating this hashtag to kind of connect conversations among students mm-hmm. on Twitter. And, you know, for me, it was a natural kind of uh, extension of the mission, overall mission of PT Think Tank, which is to, you know, provide this platform for discourse. And so uh, I'm more than happy to host that that DPT student chat, yeah. you know, talk more about things. And, you know, I think uh, having some more posts from maybe an authoritative source about student issues, is really an important thing for the profession. I think it'll help students get engaged at an earlier point in their career rather than waiting till later on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know, you know, when I was looking to put a show together with students, I actually just used the hashtag DPT student. Mm-hmm. And it was now I think I have to do like five shows. <laughs> because I got such a great response from all these students. I think I'm going to do one next week as well. Or not next week, two weeks. We're off next week. But, um, yeah, so, I, you know, I got such an overwhelming response. I have to do a whole bunch of shows, which is great, and I'm happy to do it. And I think it's important for, again, for these for students to be able to voice, like, hey, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, because I, I didn't have that. Although I think when I went to school, I don't even think there – well, I mean, obviously there wasn't Twitter, um, but – you know, it was a lot harder for me to make connections because, I mean, I don't even think, like, the Internet was as popular as it is now. I'm really dating myself here. Um, Anyway, I wanted to ask you one more thing um, that I think is kind of interesting in your bio and that you're the chair of the PR committee for the APTA orthopedic section. Mm -hmm. So what is that like? That must be a tough job. Uh, that's not too tough of a job. Uh-huh. Um, I've, I've sort of always been involved in public relations. Um, when I started the profession, I kind of, I guess, realized that I had maybe a, an aptitude for uh, speaking in sound bites. And mm-hmm. I didn't really know that, uh, but I was doing an interview one time when I worked at Medical College of Georgia, and the uh, the PR people sit sit in with you on this news interview, and they're you know watching you, and the news people left, and the uh, lady there was like, "You're really good at this," and I was like, "I don't know." So I don't know if I'm really good at this or not, but um, I've kind of gotten this reputation for being able to uh, respond to media requests and do those sort of things, mm-hmm. and so uh, I really have no formal public relations training, but I've done some reading and done some you know research on my own and kind of learned the ropes a little bit, and so it's uh, it's been a fun thing. I've been the chair of the um, the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. I've mm-hmm. done their PR committee, mm-hmm. uh, and I've done the orthopedic committee now for a while. And you know, primarily what that is is just helping the section communicate their message to their members, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, helping when there's you know some some poignant issues that are coming through uh, in the media or in response to you know certain research that we want to uh, publicize that may be beneficial to the profession. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty fun job, and you know, it comes and goes in terms of demands, but uh, right. it's cool. Cool. So now let's start getting into to, uh, some of the kind of big picture topics that are happening within the PT profession right now. So let's start maybe with a couple of threats to the profession. I know that there's a lot uh, going on in California. Uh, they just defeated the chiropractic bill, but now there's the physician-owned practice bill. So in your opinion, is this good or is this a good thing or a bad thing for physical therapists? Um, and you're asking, is physician-to-own practices a good thing or a bad thing? Right. Yeah, I'm going to go on the that's a bad thing yeah. side. Okay. And uh, the reason I feel it's a bad thing is because it really impacts the ability for physical therapists to be autonomous practitioners. You really lose a voice in the process. Uh, you know, if you're working for a physician-owned facility, they usually bill through the physician. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you get into the situation where you can show up for work and you're not actually allowed to work if the physician's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just seems incongruent with the progress we've made as a profession towards a doctoring profession, mm-hmm. uh, towards a profession that are really primary access providers. Yeah, and, and I mean, I agree with you. I, I 100% agree that I just think, and I think a lot of, patients, you know, they don't really know that they can go outside of where their doctor recommends. 
Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, and that's one of the big problems with the physician-owned practices. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it's really easy. It's a, maybe on the surface very convenient to say, oh, well, everything's here in the same house. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my physician says, well, I need to go to this therapy, and uh, I just walk across the hall and go to the therapist. But, you know, that really eliminates a really important part of the consumer process, which is that choice that you mm-hmm. have. Uh, you know, obviously not all PTs are, are bred equal, just like, you know, no one person is bred equal to another. And uh, it might be fun to be able to explore those options. And, and it's really not communicated to patients very well in those settings. And so it's it's a little unfortunate. Yeah. And, and so as a physical therapy profession, what can we do to educate consumers that, you know, hey, listen, you have a choice or these are maybe you should investigate A, B, and C before you go to see a certain physical therapist. Maybe that was recommended. Even if if it was a physical therapist recommended by a friend, what are steps that a consumer can take to to sort of investigate where they're going to be going? So, you know, I guess you would um, access some resources that that are available to you. Uh, One of the nice resources that's always available to the profession uh, or to, I guess, the general public offered by the profession is Mm MoveForwardPT.org, which is a website that the APTA put up, and uh, it allows consumers to go on and get educated a little bit about their condition. Uh, You can ask questions to experts, and they can respond to you um, if it kind of meets a certain criteria. And uh, that's a good place to kind of start your search and to become educated about the profession. Uh, if you're looking for something like a manual therapy fellow, so someone who has advanced fellowship training in manual therapy, which might be important if you have back pain or osteoarthritis mm-hmm. or things like that, uh, that would be a great place to go. You can look on the website for the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists, which is uh, aaompt.org, uh-huh. and they have a find a fellow tool. And so I think becoming edu- educated about the educational backgrounds of the PT you're going to go see is a, a good first step about what you need. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the the hard part, and I know I see this a lot in New York, is that if the physician refers, let's say a physician refers someone to to me, then that patient will not see anyone else but me. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the hard part. So do you... I mean, I don't know what your relationship is uh, with physicians, but do you try and sort of forge a relationship with the physician or try and, you know, kind of explain to them the different types of physical therapy? Because I feel like sometimes that's lost a bit. It is lost a bit. And, you know, I think every physical therapist who owns a private practice or sees patients privately, um, one of their biggest missions is to forge those relationships with physicians to kind of let them know and let them be aware of all the places to go. And, you know, it's it's a little unfortunate. Sometimes, you know, a physical therapist will give a physician, you know, a prescription pad and it'll have their name on it. And so the physician you know, goes and writes up the prescription. It's mm. like prescription and it has the appearance of being a prescription only for that clinic. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think overall it kind of ends up, you know, kicking people in, in the rear a little bit because patients then get this impression that they're not allowed to go to other places. Uh, I think more than forging those relationships with a physician, I think it's probably better serving in the long run to help educate the public about their choice in physical therapists and mm-hmm. about what makes a physical therapist good and what makes physical therapists not good. I think that's something that's a, a little intuitive if you're thinking about a surgery, right? Did the surgery work or did it not work? Did yeah. my ACL stay intact after the surgery or mm-hmm. did it not? Uh, but for rehab, it's, it's a little bit more obscure. And so I think as a profession, we can do a, bit, a little bit better job educating everyone about yeah. What's good? What's bad? Yeah, I agree. And and let's talk a little bit more about that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after these messages. So everybody stay tuned. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you confused about which diet is right for you? Are you tired of being tired? How about improving your energy, strength, and appearance? Hi, I'm Rika Keck, a holistic nutrition and wellness consultant. If you have answered yes to any of my questions, contact me now at nyintegratedhealth.com or at 646-285-8588. Initiate change and transform your life. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? 
Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving communications. That's the answer. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Eric Robertson. He is a physical therapist and assistant professor at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. And I also have um, in the studio with me today um, another physical therapist uh, who's uh, here in New York City, Adrian Miranda. And he is also faculty at Toro College in their orthopedic therapy residency program. So I think... Eric, you and he sort of have the same uh, similar backgrounds in in that you're both within that fellowship program. Um, So, Eric, over the uh, commercial break, you know, we were talking and you had said something in the first segment there about being autonomous. And, you know, we were talking about, well, what does autonomous mean? So I'm going to kind of put that to you. What does the autonomous practitioner in the physical therapy realm mean to you? And what is its importance? So I'll start with uh, describing what autonomous does not mean, because uh, I think sometimes the autonomous as a word can be a little bit misinterpreted in this sense. And what autonomous does not mean is it doesn't mean that you're going to go try to do healthcare all by yourself. Right. It doesn't mean that a physical therapist doesn't need anyone's help to provide health care because health care is a team and it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a collaborative approach and it takes the expertise and input from a lot of different professionals. And so autonomous in no way means that you're trying to subvert that in any way. Right. And trying to do it all. Right, right. So what, what autonomous means is that uh, you're a profession that stands alone by itself as, as a, its own unique segment of expertise. Uh, in the sense that if a patient comes and sees you and directly accesses your service from the street, you know, then you're able to assess them and screen them and uh, treat them if you can, if you can help them, and if not, refer them to a different practitioner. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's, it's really that ability to uh, dictate your own treatments and decide what you would like to do is uh, what really defines autonomous practice. Okay. And how, how important is that to the practice of physical therapy? Oh, it, it's, I think, incredibly important. Um, you know, one of the things I had always struggled with when I was practicing a lot is, you know, you'd get these uh, referrals from physicians and they would have on it, you know, check marked or written in list of things that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that always kind of baffled my mind because when physicians go to medical school, they're learning about medicine. They're not necessarily learning about physical therapy. And so it's, you know, logical that physical therapists know a lot more about different treatment options or different interventions that are available and the evidence that supports those things. And so, you know, you'd get a a physician, you know, refer for ultrasound for low back pain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by law, you're supposed to follow that prescription. And it really becomes like a limiting thing when you're talking about something like ultrasound for low back pain, where there really is no evidence to support that kind of intervention. Right, right. And so in in those cases, do you choose, do you use your... Uh, background as a physical therapist and the evidence that pointing to the, or should I say lack of evidence pointing to the efficacy of ultrasound. And I'm just taking this as an example. Do mm-hmm. you choose then to spend your time on something else? Do you do it because it's on the prescription? Do you speak to the physician and say, Hey, you know, I don't know that this is the best course of action. 
Yeah, so my, um, my, my kind of method to deal with that would always be to kind of contact the physician and, and use it as an opportunity to provide some education and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, approach it from that standpoint. And, you know, I mean, physicians are intelligent, reasonable people, so mm-hmm. if you lay your case out correctly, then uh, you should really have no issues, you know. In the rare instance that you get some resistance and, well, no, ultrasound is what I want, well, then technically by law, if you're following that referral, you, you need to provide that service. So mm-hmm. um, it can be a little bit limiting, and that's one of the struggles. That's why physical therapists are kind of, you know, striving to, uh, you know, extend the bubble a little bit and become recognized more uniformly as that autonomous provider. Right. And Adrian, um, I'm going to, Eric, I'm going to kind of throw that same question to Adrian just to kind of get your view on, you know, the autonomous practice of the physical therapist. Thanks, Karen. Uh, and Eric, interestingly enough, I think you and I met a long time ago when I was a new grad. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember. I came up to you and just asked questions about what were you doing with your with your blog. So it's nice to actually be able to converse with you. Excellent. Um, so, you know, talking about the autonomous uh, practitioner and talking about prescriptions, I think that we have to show that we have quality, um, that we have a value. So, you know, it's the same thing with you. I always kind of wondered, why does a prescription prescribe or tell me what to do? Um, you know, you can go the routes of actually educating the patient, educating the practitioner, but I think once we realize as a profession or uh, physical therapist, like, like you said, we're not all created equal. Once we show our worth, um, the proof is there. Word of mouth spreads. So the doctor actually will hopefully will come to you and say, hey, I have this patient. Can you see them? What do you want me to write on the prescription? Sometimes now I actually see that doctors actually put everything on the map and they give me the, the reins to take over. So in a study in JOSBT in North Carolina, I believe they interviewed patients uh, who were treated for low back pain, and about 40% of those responded that they were given actual evidence-based uh, treatments. So I think once we're all on the same page and we prove our worth or value to physicians, to the consumer, to everybody else, I think that we'll become autonomous. But I think we still have work to do uh, to become truly autonomous. And to me, autonomous means that people come to me um, for my services, yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I definitely agree with that, and I think that kind of carries over, and Eric, you had touched upon it briefly, um, and that carries over into what I'd like to talk about next, which, which is the direct access care. And, you know, a lot of people, and I must tell, I tell patients all the time, I don't think that patients know what direct access is, Um, I've talked about it a bazillion times on this show, I think. Um, Probably within the last month alone, I probably said the words direct access like 50 times. Um, But, uh, Eric, what? give us your definition of direct access and noting that not all direct access is equal. Yeah, and that's kind of the trick about direct access. So as a term, direct access means being able to access the services of a physical therapy directly, or physical therapist directly, which uh, is different than maybe in traditional uh, settings or, or I guess in the past in many states where you would have to uh, be required to go to see your physician first and get a referral to see a physical therapist. Um, it sort of didn't really make any sense because, you know, physical therapists have a great knowledge background. We're really good at screening. We're mm-hmm. really good at evaluating and assessing, um, identifying those patients we can help and those patients we can't. And uh, it makes sense to, uh, you know, maybe avoid that extra step and that extra cost in the healthcare system mm-hmm. and be able to go access your physical therapist uh, if you want to. So, if you know, if your back hurts or your knee hurts or you have some obvious musculoskeletal complaint, the person you would call up on the phone to schedule an appointment would be your physical therapist therapist because right. they're the person that you're ultimately going to see anyway. Right. And so there are some states, and uh, we were kind of talking before the show, Oregon just had, just passed sort of a, a true direct access, meaning you can, go here. so for instance, here in New York, there is quote unquote direct access, but it's like for 10 visits or six weeks, and then you have to refer out. So yeah. that's not really direct access. No, and, and, you know, it's one of the frustrating things for me is that even when the counts are given about what states have direct access mm-hmm. and which don't, uh, it's a little inflated because many of them have what you described as a very limited direct right. access. So it's, it's still not really direct access. You know, uh, a great example would be like Georgia, which is, you know, classified as having direct access, but uh, you really only have direct access to do an examination and, you know, provide some wellness treatment. Oh, that's not even close. 
close to direct access then. No, it, it's really <laughs> not. Um, and so not all direct access is equal. And it's really a struggle to get these um, to get these direct access laws passed. And, you know, kudos to Oregon and congratulations to them. And I think yeah. um, maybe it was Iowa or Oklahoma. I think maybe Oklahoma just passed one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it's a great victory when that happens because, you know, it, it, and I think it's a great victory to patients and patient choice yeah. and patient access. Absolutely. Um, and, and to patients' wallets. Absolutely. You yeah, know, you're eliminating an entire copay and an yeah. office visit. Yeah, yeah. And, and you would think this would be something the insurance companies could get behind, but they're not. Yeah, and it, it's really it's, it's, it's a conundrum. It's, yeah. it, it is baffling. It makes, you know, very limited sense to me. It kind of speaks a little bit to the the muscle and lobbying powers of the that AMA. Some of the physician groups have, yeah. and especially specifically at the AMA. Yeah. But um, also, I also think that uh, once we can show that we can, if we talk in, in dollars, that's what they care about. So I also think once we prove that direct access might save them money in the general scheme of things, I think that might, and the government and the country as a right. whole. Well, but that's been proven. You know, that was, there was a, a great study, I think it was like two Recently. years ago, mm-hmm. that I think it was specifically talking about low back pain, but did show that the costs were lower when direct access was there. But Eric, I think like you said, the, the lobbies are strong because, you know, direct access is great for us, but maybe not so great for the doctor. Well, and, and you know, it's a perception but, but it that should, it's not but it so sh- great. But it should but, be great. Right, right. And, and you know, it's, it's, uh, maybe, you're not, maybe you're not aware about what it is, or maybe, you know, if you hear about this, oh, well, they're not going to come to me, they're going to go to the physical therapist. Mm-hmm. It can see like a, a threat to, you know, your turf, mm-hmm. but it becomes this turf battle. And it's really, it's unfortunate that if it's perceived that way, because it's really not, it's really about getting patient to the right resource quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, let's face it, there's a, a amazing physician shortage currently for primary care, and mm-hmm. that's only predicted to worsen. And right. so, uh, you know, I think, the collaborative team approach in healthcare really comes to the forefront as something that can solve this, and direct access is just part of that solution. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, it, like you said, to, to reduce the threat and think of it more as the team approach and think of it more from what's best for the patient. You know, we're allegedly all in this for the patient, right? So don't you want to do right by them? And if going to a physical therapist first is doing right by your patient, then that should be the right thing to do. Yeah, and, and you know, I think if, if you talk to physicians individually, that makes a lot of sense to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when you get on that big, you know, policy level. It, yeah. It seems to be interpreted a little differently. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and this is maybe where the the physical therapy profession, I don't know, the APTA maybe needs to, I know that they are doing a great job um, already with at least even getting direct access in states, granted some limited, but I think they're doing a great job of pushing this direct access and, and perhaps we as a profession and as individual physical therapists need to push it a little bit more and, and you know, talk, call your Tell your patients, have them call their, their representatives, because that's really the way that it, it should be done. I think uh, talking about threats to, to physicians, and <clears throat> I think they should see it as, as a good thing uh, where we need to change the thought process, the paradigm shift of not saying that, oh, we're going to lose patients, but saying that physical therapists can take the patients away that you don't need to see because surgeons want to do surgery. If they can see more patients who really require surgery and they can weed out the ones that don't need it, you know, that patient who had surgery and they failed, they've had three surgeries. You know what? Why don't you send them to physical therapy? Or they see an ankle, they'd rather not see an ankle, they'd rather see something that's a surgical case that's required. I think it shouldn't be a threat. It should be actually, hey, you're taking this off my hands. I hate to say those words, but you're actually physical therapist. This is your job. I'd rather you not use my appointment time for that as opposed to seeing a patient who actually needs a surgical consult. Yeah. And Eric, what's your thought on that? Well, you know, I'd like to go back to kind of something I thought about just as you were talking a moment ago and talking about, you know, we need to be more active uh, to promote direct access and to make people aware of it and to call representatives. And, you know, uh, first part is is the APTA does a great job Mm -hmm. about um, helping this. And, you know, the APTA, APTA could do a better job if the member base was larger, if more percentage of physical therapists joined up, we'd have a much larger voice. Mm-hmm. So that's always something uh, those of us within the organization are always kind of whining about, you know, just, man, everybody join up. We'd suddenly, you know, have 200,000 people right, that right. We can, we'd speak with a voice, and that would be a, a much better voice. Um, 
and you know, a lot of the stuff they do happens behind closed doors, mm-hmm. and it's about different relationships and different strategies. Uh, you know, if you look at the direct access bill that's happening in Texas right now, uh, Texas is a particular challenge because they only have a legislative legislative cycle every two years. Uh-huh. And Texas is one of the states that doesn't have any form of direct access. And so uh, this patient access bill is in the Texas legislature right now, and um, it actually achieved a victory, I guess, two weeks ago, where it passed through committee, right? So that gets on to, uh, it moves from, you know, the the committee to decide whether it should be heard as a bill or not. And then it goes to the calendars committee, which will, unfortunately, there's a big backlog, obviously, when you only have a legislative cycle once every two years. So even though it was kind of, you know, put forward as something that should be heard, uh, it remains to be seen whether it's actually going to be heard right, or not. Right, right. Uh, so it's, it's a real big challenge. I think one of the, the more interesting points about direct access, and one of the things that um, always occupies my thoughts on this subject, is that I think once we get direct access, so in states, you know, like Oregon or mm-hmm. like South Carolina that have excellent direct access laws, uh, I feel like there's an underutilization of it. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is that, uh, you know, physicians and, or, I'm sorry, physical therapists have, you know, created their business practice, their business model based off of this physician referral aspect, right? And so the majority of their marketing has been towards physicians mm-hmm. and the majority of their income and their dollars of revenue comes from the physician referrals. And so it's really out of the, you know, comfort zone and out of what their normal business, proven business model right. is to target consumers directly. Yeah, so, you know, and we're going to take a quick break um, right after this, but I, and I've had this conversation before, I think it might have been with Larry Benz or with Jerry Durham, I, I can't remember, but they were saying that, you know, a lot of, when direct access first was introduced, that some of the biggest opponents to it were physical therapists themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that kind of goes with what you just said there. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll continue right after these messages. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power Power Hour, Hour. at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And its limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Eric Robertson, assistant professor at Regis University and founder of PTThinkTank.com, and also with Adrian Miranda. He is a New York City-based physical therapist and faculty at Toro College Orthopedic Physical Therapy Residency Program. So today we are sort of talking about big picture, big policy stuff, and we kind of left off... uh, talking about direct access in the last segment and and how 
in the beginning, and, and Eric, I know you were sort of saying even now that some of the biggest problems with direct access is within the physical therapy community itself. So, you know, what, and, and I think when I interviewed Jared Carter, we were, we talked about your, your referral basis and how for them, I mean, I have my own business here in New York and I do get referrals from physicians here and there, but the majority of my referrals come from well outside physicians, you know, and, and, um, at least here in New York, I can at least see the patient, like I said, for 10 visits or six weeks um, before they need a physician referral. Um, so I guess the question is, is what, as physical therapists, what do you think the physical therapists who maybe don't want to change, what can the profession do to kind of give them a little nudge? Yeah, I don't know if there's there's uh, too much to do to nudge people who, at this point, they haven't changed, are, are going to, uh, you know, it's always that debate whether you use a, a carrot or the stick approach. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I'm not sure which one is, is the right way to go, um, and probably the solution to that requires, you know, some real collective thought from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I think it's important to realize the changing marketplace that's in yep. front of us, and... You know, our our system of physical therapy care is, is really reliant very heavily on this third-party payer system and on mm-hmm. physician referrals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I was, uh, you know, looking at the long-term future of those things, you know, you see declining dollars from third-party payers. Yep. Uh, you see physician shortages happening. And so it would make a lot of sense as a long-term strategy to see if I could go outside of those traditional models and come mm-hmm. up with a different business model. Mm-hmm. Now, if I have a physical therapy practice that's been going for 20 years, obviously it's a pretty big risk to assume mm-hmm. Uh, to go try these different models. And, you know, that with such tight margins that are in physical therapy clinics now, I can respect that decision by those practice owners to be hesitant to try those different models because mm-hmm. it is a, a real risk to take. Yeah, it's a uh, But I do think there's likewise an awesome, just a tremendous opportunity for people who are going to be starting out. And so maybe starting out inside of that traditional model might be pretty rough right now, mm-hmm. but forging your way through an alternative model really could be very rewarding. And, you know, you sort of transitioned into kind of what I wanted to talk about in this segment quite beautifully there. And that was talking about, you know, sort of, let's say another threat to the profession is the sort of capped income from these third-party payers, Medicare in particular. And I feel like once Medi- what Medicare does, a lot of other uh, insurance companies tend to follow. Would you agree with that? Oh, certainly. And so, you know, all of a sudden, so Medicare, what is the cap on Medicare? 1700 around there or something? 1690 Yeah. Some crazy, that. some sort of weird random number, um, which equates to maybe 16 visits a year, which is insane. Um, and I know that there are sort of, you can, someone can kind of go through the exception process depending on certain diagnoses. Now, do you feel like the cap on Medicare, which does tend to trickle down to other third-party payers or other insurance companies is what a third-party payer is, um, do you feel like that is pushing people, and I had two shows on this um, a couple of weeks ago, towards a more cash-based business? You know, I I think... And what what are the dangers with that? I don't know if it's necessarily that cap all by itself that's pushing people towards a cash-based business mm-hmm. as much as it is all of the regulations and costs involved with processing insurance company payments. Yeah. Um, you know, when you have to apply for an exceptions process, you know, that's man hours, that's yeah. chart reviews, that's, uh, you know, it takes time to submit those things. And, yeah. you know, there's a real steep cost with processing these things. Sure. Um, and I think it's that cost and that hassle and that headache. I mean, um, let's be honest. It's, it's a pain in the ass. It really is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's know, no other way to put it, right? <laughs> yeah, they still may be, may be doing okay financially, but, boy, they're the grumpiest group of people <laughs> right now. And uh, yeah. it, it's been a 10-year process. They're, yeah. they're holding strong, but yeah. uh, they're, they're some grumpy folks. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, and, and that, again, goes to kind of how you want to run your business, you know, and, and how you want to feel when you go to your job and how you want to feel when you're treating your patients. You know, do you want to have the ease of treating your patients 
in a more relaxed setting. I mean, I, I have a cash-based business, and I'm pretty relaxed, you know. I don't have many worries in that regard, and, and I also don't have any overhead because I don't have to pay anyone to process my claims and things like that. Um, or do you, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like my stress level is a lot lower. When oh, I'm, yeah, I've, and I've worked in, you know, uh, completely cash-based settings, and I can, you know, vouch for what you're saying. It's, yeah. uh, it's kind of an amazing setting when it works correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because, I mean, no-show rates are really low because people Very are invested in, in what they're, they're paying for. Yep. And so, um, you know, it's different when you're kind of getting it, quote, for free from an insurance company. Exactly. Um, which, of course, it really isn't for free. No, but no, no, just no, as no, a no. provider, you know, patients come in, and, you know, you can see them, and you can deal with them, and deliver your expertise in its fullest extent without having to have, uh, you know, 10 people in the back room doing claims right. processing for right. you. Right. Or having to see four patients an hour just to, you know, be able to, to keep your business going. You know, right. like I'm, I see one patient an hour. Sometimes it's an hour and 20 minutes, you know, it's whatever the patient needs. And I have a very low cancellation rate because I go to patients home, so they have no excuse. I also think that the uh, transparency isn't there in insurance companies. You know, you do get your EOB, but patients sometimes overlook it, and then they wonder what they're getting billed for. Then they get upset, but with a cash-based practice or different other ways, um, people know what they're in for. They know what there's no surprises. So I think that's mm-hmm. another thing is that the insurance companies really hide all the billing, and patients will get upset with you. They call your billing office up. There's another headache. That's why people are so grumpy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things you should re- kind of realize, though, when you're talking about these cash-based practices is that the model for cash-based practice doesn't work in all demographics nope. throughout the United States. Nope, and so, it does not. You know, um, it's a real cost limiter to some, you know, blue-collar communities where Absolutely. they may not have that, that disposable income to go spend out of their pocket on physical therapy. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's, that's – uh, I think it could work. I think people have to – like you said earlier, think outside the box. In those rural areas, I think therapists should go out and find those – uh, employers and show them the value of maybe, you know, if I if you paid me this much by a contract, I'll take care of all your employees, and that's a different uh, type of contract base. But I think, you know, we have the therapists have to think outside the box in the business minded aspect as well. Because I I actually have to say I disagree with that. It doesn't work everywhere. People in Maryland, Terry Carter's down in Texas. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who can do that. We just have to think outside and be just more creative about how we can generate this revenue, but give quality of care as well. Well, and, and also, I mean, I, I tend to agree with Eric on this one. I mean, I, I realize how lucky I am to live in New York City and to be able to treat people the way I do because, you know, people have a lot of money here. You know what I mean? Like, there is that disposable income, and I know that I'm very lucky. Jared is in Austin. Austin is a pretty affluent town. Ann Wendell is right outside of D.C., very affluent area. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. The money is not there. It is yeah. not. Th- it's just not. Like, where my sister works, people struggle to pay a $20 copay. And she's in, in, and she's in the middle of, of rural Pennsylvania, you know? I grew up in Washington Heights uh, in the 90s, which is a pretty underserved yeah. drugs and gangs. And so I grew up yeah. around all that. I also know that my family members and friends would go get their hair done for $60, $80 down the street uh-huh. on welfare, saying that they couldn't buy this and that. Right. If we put a value saying that, hey, listen, you've had pain for 10 years. You come see me. Don't get your hair done, you know, this weekend. I can help you out. Yeah. I think once we put a value to, oh, my gosh, you can take care of my pain, I think people would think twice about where they spend their money, whether sure. they're in rural, whether they make $20 welfare, whether they make a million dollars. If we put value to it, I think people will come. Mm-hmm. Eric, go ahead. Sure. My, I guess my response to that would be that, um, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to help realign people's goals and values for where they want to spend their money mm-hmm. than it is to redefine how you want to provide that care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, that haircut, you know, seven or eighty dollars, that may be really, really high on that person's, you know, value list and you have to keep that in mind. And so um, you know, I think if you if you kind of take a step back and you look at the way physical therapy is provided traditionally, uh, you know, patients have to go somewhere. Right, they have to pay a copay. Uh, they have to take a good chunk of time out of their day, mm-hmm. and it's expensive. And that doesn't necessarily mesh with the way society has kind of evolved in this information age and mobile technology. Um, 
you know, maybe that kind of process that slowed down, I have to go here and go visit the PT all the time. Uh, maybe that model isn't as good of a fit as it once was mm-hmm. for meeting society's needs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate of coming up with uh, different technologies that you could use to, you know, access patients at a distance or mm-hmm. to, um, right. you know, have bridge care where, you know, maybe you see the therapist for a while and then instead of just kind of leaving them off in the, in the dust when you're done with them after their 12 visits and their uh, payments are done, come up with a different, you know, sort of monthly payment model mm-hmm. uh, where you can mm-hmm. stay in contact with patients mm-hmm. and provide care in, in a totally different way. Uh, you have to remember that education is one of the hugest parts of what physical therapists are really amazing at. Yeah. Um, and so... There's a lot of ways you can deliver education. Yeah, and and we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to kind of wrap things up and maybe talk a little bit more about um, technology aspect in physical therapy within the next 10 minutes. So um, everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Lebowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183 that's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at monty at montytaylor.com. That's monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at montytaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Eric Robertson. He is the assistant professor at Regis University and the founder of PTThinkTank.com. If you haven't been to the site, go to it, read through it. There's a lot of great info on there and great commentary on uh, the PT profession. And as we said earlier, they now have some student uh, issues up there. So it's well worth it. Again, that's ptthinktank.com. And also joining us, I have a New York City-based physical therapist, Adrian Miranda, here as well. So, Eric, you sort of left off uh, last segment kind of talking about uh, technology and how perhaps PTs can weave technology into their practice to benefit their patients and to perhaps provide care beyond the their discharge beyond the the patient's discharge. So can you kind of quickly give us some uh, insight into how you think technology can help? Yes, I think technology um, is never going to replace what we do. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it just it simply can't. There's nothing quite like the touch of a physical therapist and the, the skilled hands when uh, you're getting manual techniques or range of motion or mm-hmm. stretching. You know, that in-person experience is always going to be the penultimate experience of physical therapy. Yes. But I think physical uh, technology can really like, I guess, augment physical therapy practice in the sense that it gives you a way to stay in touch with patients after they leave you or when they're at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's a great 
great opportunity for home exercise programs to kind of take a leap forward from a technology perspective, you know, be able to track, use, you know, health tracking tools as, you know, and apps, health tracking apps integrated in throughout your practice. Um, and then, you know, there are some people who can't access physical therapy. You know, if I look at the state of Alaska, mm. um, there's a lot of people that live there and there's not so many physical therapists. Right. Um, you know, and you start to think that way and you think, boy, well, this could really be a global thing, right? It could really take a lot of these patients and, you know, people around, around the globe, really, who can't access physical therapy care and provide them some level of care. Right, and sort of provide that care via uh, information sharing, education, uh, exercise. Like, do you have any apps, any recommendation of apps or recommendations of websites that you know, as a physical therapist, you can start kind of utilizing now? Uh, well, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily say recommend, say all physical therapists should use this, but I can talk about what I use personally. Sure. Uh, and I use Fitbit. And mm. uh, mm-hmm. Fitbit.com is gives yep. you a little health tracker, and it tracks your steps and your sleep and, you know, mm-hmm. how many stairs mm-hmm. you've climbed. And it's not complicated, but it it ties into a nice website where you can, you know, diary your resting heart rate or your blood pressure for the day or whatever you'd want to track, even your diet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think if physical therapists can be aware and utilize those sort of tools with their patients, then you have a way to kind of extend your relationship with the patient a little bit further, Uh, you know, because there's a social aspect to some of those things. Uh You know, it it enters into a little bit of a gray category in terms of sharing health information and HIPAA laws. Uh Um, And I don't think anybody really has the answer for that, but uh, it's definitely an opportunity to explore. And and can't it also allow the patient to kind of take a little more control over their health and over their wellness as well and give them give the patient that sense of autonomy and control over their bodies? And perhaps if let's say they have, I'll just take someone, I don't know, low back pain, just as an example. If they have a flare up, maybe they can, you know, be able to manage that a little bit easier on their own versus always having to go back to the doctor or, you know, and you can kind of do that through education and and perhaps through movement and, and all that. Yeah, there's a great um, population percentage that uses the Internet to find information about their health. Mm -hmm. And self-treating is sort of, you know, the first step in healthcare now via the Internet. And, you know, even if you have that, like, you know, 80 or 90-year-old lady who, you know, you think might not be Internet savvy, well, A, I wouldn't assume that because everyone can surprise you. Mm -hmm. I met some pretty amazing 90-year-old ladies. Uh, But, uh, you know, the other thing is that many people look for health information for other people. Mm. And so mm-hmm. even though that person may not be the person finding the information, they have people feeding them information who have gone online. Sure. And so when I practice now, I integrate education about uh, different websites or different apps and different mm-hmm. technology tools that patients can use into the home exercise program that I'm Great. giving them. I think you're only giving half of the home exercise program if you're just saying, you know, go lift your leg these five times. Right. I think you really need to empower patients to uh, take their own health into their own yeah. hands and, and to help evaluate, you know, good sources and bad sources on the Internet. Yeah, and, and you know, another source, something that I, I, I tell patients about and that I use, and that's... Um, Adrian Lowe has a great website for the International Spine and Pain Institute. And he has a section specifically for patients where everything is so easily understandable. It's easily read. It's great education. Great education. So I always will refer people um, to his website. And he has... Also, as an FYI for physical therapists out there listening, there are so many resources on there for PTs as well, from everything from exercise programs to, you know, he's a big pain researcher, to stuff to information on pain, his recently published papers, and so that's a great resource, so... I, yeah, it's it's I always a popular a thing to empower patients with their health care. Yeah. Keep in mind, one of, the, uh, one of the best publications ever in the history of the physical therapy profession was uh, Robin McKenzie's Treat Your Own Back, mm-hmm. um, where he kind of created a, a textbook that was geared for health professionals to kind of interpret his system, but it was targeted towards patients, and yeah. it really empowered them. And that was a, a really unique thing, and, you know, kind of maybe important to bring that up in the conversation as uh, Robin McKenzie just, just passed, passed away, away last yeah. week. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, you you make a great point, and that is, as a physical therapist, it's important to 
give information to your patient that can that they can use after they've left you you know so give them the resources give them the names of great websites great apps great books things like that where they can be empowered and they can just have more information so I think that's a, a really important point, and it's probably something that I will start to do even more. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think there's a lesson about um, empowering patients in sort of, uh, you know, the startup technology realm that, that we see where, you know, different start technology startups come along. And, and what they do is they give their stuff away, right? They yeah. make you charge for it at the right. end of time. Right. And they're not afraid to give it away. I mean, look at Google. I mean, they give everything away to you f- to use for free. Mm-hmm. But through that, they've, you know, developed this, like, almost omnipresent, uh, you know, status and I think physical therapists should sort of take that same thought, you know, I just want to give you as much as I can as the patient and you're going to view me as the authority for all the things I'm an authority in and uh, it'll turn out really nice at the end. Yep. Great, great, uh, great way to identify yourself. I think amongst, you know, all the other healthcare professionals. And on that note, we have run out of time, unfortunately. I feel like we definitely could have gone on a lot longer here. Um, So, Eric, thanks for for finally we got you on the show after a couple of months of back and forth. So thanks for taking the time out and coming on. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Um, The best way would be to uh, probably follow me on Twitter, which is just my name, Eric Robertson, uh, or visit pttinktank.com and check me out there. And pttinktank is all one word, dot com. That's right. So thank you. And Adrian, thank you for for coming on and taking the time out. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Um, You can look me on my blog at adrianmpt.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at adrianmpt. Great. All right. So thank you both. And everyone, uh, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy and smart. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We are certified certified mediators. mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower Radio Program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower 
Listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neo Sage. Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. TalkingAlternative.com 